I mean, God's Spirit just said, hey, you can't be anybody but you in the pulpit. So stop worrying about who you need to be and, and let me work through who I created you to be. You're listening to an ongoing discussion on life, ministry, and leadership. This is the Brian Sams Podcast. Welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. This is Brian Sams. I am your host. I'm so glad that you've joined us here today. Uh, Today, we are continuing our study on preaching with about four other pastor friends of mine who are also instructors at Veritas Baptist College, and we are together collaborating on some very exciting classes on preaching in the 2020 and 2021 school year. And today I'm so excited to join together with my friend Carrie Schmidt, who is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newington, Connecticut, and also is the host of Gospel Leadership Podcast, and is just a great friend. So Carrie, welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I appreciate your friendship. Oh, absolutely. I'm really excited about uh, contributing together in instructing another generation of preachers on the subject of biblical preaching, and I'm so excited that you're a part of that. And I don't know about you, but when I think about teaching a class on preaching that includes people like Kurt Skelly and Kenny Baldwin, that's a pretty exciting thought, isn't it? Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning as much as contributing. <laughs> well, well, you're going to do great, and I'm so thankful that you're a part of, of that class. And more importantly, I, I think that it's just it's great to have someone like you with us to discuss really just the subject of biblical preaching. And what I've done so far in this conversation is Kurt and I talked a lot about the study of the text and reading the text and selecting passages for preaching. And in the broader narrative of what we're talking about with preaching, I'm talking about the whole flow of sermon preparation. And where we are right now in the subject is we're talking about how to really begin to dive in and investigate things about the passage that are relevant that you will present in your preaching. But before I get into that today with you, I wanted to ask you just kind of a few general questions about preaching that I think our audience would really mm-hmm. enjoy. First of all, you served for a long time as an assistant pastor, youth director, and many other hats that you wore in California. Can you help us understand how pastoring a local church has transformed your preaching? I, that's hard to even know where to start on that because I was teaching mostly young adults, teenagers, young adults, single adults. For so long, you're visiting really the same themes over and over again as you're seeing generations grow up, mm-hmm. as opposed to speaking mostly to adults and really really feeding them a steady diet from the Word of God. So I would say most fundamentally, I, I heard a statement from Kurt that really said it the best. He said, I preach the Bible expositorily. I just work through the Bible because I don't really have much to say, but God does. <laughs> yeah. And uh, boy, the, the older I, I am, the longer I live and serve the Lord, the more I just agree with that statement. I, not only do I not have a lot to say, I just don't know all that much, mm-hmm. but God's message is sufficient. It's infinite. And it is sufficient, and uh, so I have loved the fact that senior pastoring forces me into Scripture, into context, into the narrative. It just makes me so excited to be able to, to 
feed God's people from his word. Amen. That's great. And I know that you and I share the same philosophy of expository preaching, which is awesome. But another interesting dynamic, I think, between the two of us is that you and I minister in incredibly different cultures. I am a pastor in a southern metropolitan area, which is largely country in feel, very southern very religious, a lot of churchgoers, and so there's a lot of moral tradition, a lot of fabric in the culture. I think I'm right Mm -hmm. when I say you're in New England, which is predominantly post-Christian, you're in an area that's highly educated with, with kind of an unbelieving culture, really. How would you say that that particularly affects your preaching in your context? In a, in a lot of ways, and none of this, by the way, is meant to sound um, dismissive of any other location, culture. I love your question because you're just acknowledging that pastoring churches city to city, they're, they're all different experiences because we're pastoring different groups of people. Mm. So I would say that I, I have to, uh, I'm preaching predominantly to two groups of people. One would be post-Christian, so they've just they're secular by choice. The other group would be post-Catholic. So they're religious, but uh, disappointed with Catholicism and misinformed on Christianity. I would say both of those groups are tragically misinformed on Christianity, which has forced me to a gospel-centric approach to ministry because they don't understand the gospel. Neither group understands the gospel. Mm. So the, the group that has rejected Christianity has rejected a false Christianity, and the group that is disappointed with Christianity is disappointed with Catholic Christianity. <laughs> and that's their only definition of Christianity. So I feel like I'm ministering in a third world country, spiritually speaking. So it, it has forced me to get to the essence of Scripture. It has forced me to expand my vocabulary because I'm, I'm speaking to highly educated people. It's also forced me to go back to school and to pursue advanced degrees because I want to be equipped to speak to those folks. Wow, that's great. Great thoughts. As you prepare your preaching with all these things in mind, I mean, you're, you know, you're working on advanced degrees, you're, you're learning new language, you're really learning for all of us. I think I speak for you and, and me. I mean, we've, we've talked off the air about our journey into a more gospel centered philosophy of ministry that affects everything, top to bottom, ministry style, Mm -hmm. preaching, Mm -hmm. everything. And I'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. that in our next episode, but, but, Okay, as you have gone through this, could, could you share maybe any resources or teachers who have greatly influenced your preaching with that context in mind? I would say probably the most profoundly influential book, two books that I've read that drove my heart in this subject would be, they're both by Tim Keller. The first is Prodigal God. The second is his book on preaching. And so Keller has a way of really articulating the gospel in a Northeast vernacular. And I think that's what I've most benefited because he ministers down in Manhattan in New York City. And I'm speaking to a similar kind of person. So that's really been influential. The writings of David F. Wells, especially The Courage to be Protestant, profound book, God in the Whirlwind, that was the book. That book gave me a really good grasp of how is the gospel central to the the whole narrative of scripture? How does that impact the way I go at my ministry philosophy and uh, church growth philosophy and how we have worship and how we lead the church, all of these things. So 
There are many other resources, but those are probably the two authors and and the, the few books that most impacted me. I think it's amazing that what we're talking about gospel centered philosophy, how how it it's so broad in its impact. We we think, you know, some people want to limit it to a a style of sanctification or a way of thinking about sanctification, but it's much bigger than that. It's a, an entire narrative that does drive yeah. your preaching. And I think what we've all learned, you of course, you've learned this in your context. I've learned it through the coronavirus, which is something stupid that I really don't think I should have ever had to learn. But it has driven me to be as centered on Jesus Christ as ever before. In fact, yeah. starting in June... God has just clearly led me to preach a chronological study of the life of Christ because I, I thought to myself, okay, what if I only have a couple years left or a couple weeks left? What do I want to be found preaching when it's all over? Mm-hmm. The answer kept mm-hmm. coming back, man, just preach Christ, just preach Christ, just mm-hmm. preach Jesus. And while some people may criticize that, it is profoundly what we're supposed to be doing, whether we're yeah. in a post-Christian context or whether we're in the deep South like I am. And so that's great. That's a great encouragement. Hey, I think, Carrie, I know you wouldn't want me to say this, but I think you're a great communicator. And I think that you do a, such a fantastic job of, of packaging truth, whether it's through illustration or just your natural way of communication. If a young pastor had five minutes of your time and he were asking you, what ways could I improve upon my communicating skills and there is a skill to it. What would be some things you would say to a guy that would ask you that? I get really intimidated just at the thought of teaching a preaching class with you, Kenny Baldwin, and Kurt Skelly, because every time I hear either of the three of you preach, I decide to quit. Um, <laughs> it's like yeah. I give up. I mean, these guys are so great in their preaching. So I tell you, Brian, I am just like the weakling of the four, and I mean that seriously. I'm not patronizing you. I stutter and stammer, and and I I struggle. So if I'm going to become a good communicator, it's going to be on purpose, Mm -hmm. and I desperately want to be. I would tell a young pastor the first step to becoming a good communicator would be to accept the kind of communicator that God created you to be. Okay, so... I can't be another guy. And that's, again, I tease about hearing you and Kurt and, and, and Kenny, but seriously, I can't preach like any of the three of you guys. And I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to preach. I've tried to preach like all of you. Um, every time I hear you, be more like Brian. Every time I hear Kenny, be more like Kenny. Every time I hear Kurt, be more like Kurt. And God just, I can't be you guys. And so I really spent a, a, a couple of years struggling to find my voice And you know what that was rooted in? I wasn't happy with my own. Mm. My voice wasn't sufficient. It was like God made a mistake, you know, and I got to be like somebody else. So, I mean, God's spirit just said, hey, you can't be anybody but you in the pulpit. So stop worrying about who you need to be. And, and let me work through who I created you to be. Mm. That's, to me, step one. Step two would be then, now this is going to sound a little bipolar, but step two would be listen to everybody. I mean, like every kind of communicator you can listen to, listen to them. And it, and not with the goal of how do I be like them, but with the goal of what makes that person effective. So what I've tried to do, Brian, is identify, I, I guess I've got 10 or 15 speakers that engage me. I mean, like when I listen to them, I am rapt attention. They just draw me in. They hook me. They never let me go. I just love their teaching or their preaching. And I, then I dissect it. Like, what is that guy doing 
that grabs me. And part of it is Holy Spirit and the truth of God. I get that. But on a human level, like what skills is he using? How does he tell stories? How does he how does he lead in? How does he articulate? How does he build his sermon outline? And so I'm, I'm really just trying to be a student of everybody that I can, especially those that really, really hook my attention. And then I would say, thirdly, it's a learned skill, right? A lot of guys don't like to listen to themselves preach. I don't like to listen to it either. Uh, from, from an enjoyment perspective, I don't enjoy it, but I do it because I want to catch myself. I want to, like, I don't want ticks and, and, annoying habits and i have plenty of them but i'm trying to find them you know i'm trying mm-hmm. to identify them and kill them mm-hmm. what is it that that gets me off track or where do i lose my way and a lot more things we could say uh taking classes and reading more books but to me studying the voices that draw me in the most and then trying to implement good communication skills i read a book years ago talk like ted Mm-hmm. It was a secular book, but really is like eight or nine chapters. It was about the TED Talks and what makes them so captivating, you know. And the guy that wrote the book just took like the top 10 or 15 TED Talks of all time and kind of dissected why were they so engaging, you know, mm-hmm. from an objective standpoint. And I just thought it was good. It was just good from a communication skill set, like what helps people uh, dial in and stay connected to a message and if we ever listen if we you know, some, somebody might critique me for listening or looking to a secular resource but listen if they care about engaging their audience about a topic that doesn't really matter that much why wouldn't i care about engaging the audience with the most infinite and eternal message of all time oh absolutely and the interesting thing about that is uh, if you go all the way back to aristotle who wrote a fascinating book on rhetoric and public address back you know whatever 300 years before christ lived who was obviously mm-hmm. secular he wrote a chapter in there on the power of persuasion and basically he said that you can be a persuasive speaker if you have logos ethos and pathos and when you translate those into english it's it's character in the speaker content in the message and and the delivery method of, mm-hmm. of the speaker i mean i actually use that as an outline in an introductory lesson on preaching because he nailed it and i think i think he did. oh and it's biblical too i mean you think what's the most important thing about our sermon the content can you preach without having good character no or nobody's mm-hmm. going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And then and then number 3, the way in which we communicate. I mean, the Bible does say that we're to we're to be a K Russo, we're to announce, we're to declare. And I think mm-hmm. that learning from all sources on a subject in which we can find some identity is very very uh, healthy and I think you're wise uh, to do that. I agree with you too on this on the idea of listening to yourself and evaluating yourself. I always told my students, I am my biggest critic. Nobody's going to criticize me like I'm going to criticize me. You know, everybody, for, for a variety of reasons, is going to have some reason why they will not give you the most honest feedback. You know, it could be that they don't want to hurt your feelings. It could be that they, va- mm-hmm. they value the connection they have with you. <laughs> they, they might feel threatened or whatever. But, man, if I, if I go to myself and I'm trying to really evaluate and learn and grow, I think that's valuable. And, and just to encourage you, Carrie, I think my wife likes your preaching better than mine. So, uh, <laughs> you know, she when we were when we were in California together, if, if, if you were preaching in chapel, she actually might show up. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and when you preached at church, it was always a big deal. And uh, so, but in all seriousness, uh, well, tell her I said thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> oh, oh, listen, she doesn't listen to the Brian Sam's podcast, but she will listen to this one because you're on here. So, I'm going to ask one more question before we go, and that's as it relates to the subject of putting together sermons. And I'm not going to dive into context a lot here because I think we we've really covered some good stuff here. But everybody that I talk to, I want I want to pick their brains a little bit on. When they study a passage, you had mentioned, you know, learning the greater narrative of Scripture, the backgrounds, the context, mm-hmm. all of which is vital to preaching. You know, context context means to weave together. And if you do not have mm-hmm. appropriate context to preaching, you can be actually dangerous in the pulpit. And I'm just curious, uh, as the last question here on this episode, what, what are some go-to resources, what are some commentaries or, or reference books that you have found to be incredibly helpful in your journey? When I open a passage, I'm asking a couple of foundational questions. The first is, who wrote this? When did they write it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What, what did it mean to the first recipients? And, and so what is like the narrative of this particular book? And, and then I'm asking, where does this fit in the bigger narrative? Like, why, of all that God could have put into Scripture, why did he put it into Scripture, this, mm-hmm. this particular book at this time, and what did it mean? And so when I'm asking those questions, I don't have any one resource that I go to. I would say I have a large selection of them that I'm going to periodically. I love the website preceptaustin.com. That yeah. that's just filled with it's like it's like an aggregate of so many online resources. Mm-hmm. I love to go to old and new commentaries. So, for instance, my favorite modern day commentator would be Kent Hughes. Mm-hmm. I just love Kent Hughes and and John MacArthur. Their stuff, as far as Kent Hughes is more practical. John MacArthur's more historical, contextual. Nobody beats MacArthur when it comes to just helping you understand the historical context and significance. But I really like to go back and, you know, I'll I'll go back into Albert Barnes or John Gill. Some of these guys, I just want to see what did they see in this text 200 or 300 years ago, you know. And, of course, all that stuff is free online. Right. I... I really like, I'm trying to, my mind's just racing here. I'm, Ironside's commentaries are really good. Wearsby, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of, I guess you could say I'm straddling two worlds, okay? Mm-hmm. The one world would be the, the ancient context, and that might even be the original language study, right? Sometimes I like to go to even a literal or a linear, interlinear, and go, you know, how did this read? in the Greek or Hebrew, and, and, and what does a literal view of it look like, yep. you know, like Young's literal translation or something. And then I'm looking at it in, the, in a modern vernacular as well. So I'm straddling the world of what did this mean when it was written and given, and what would the original recipients have received from it? And then what, what does that have to do with us today? And, how to, and then I guess you get into application then, but maybe even pre-application, like how should I think of this passage in today's, from today's vantage point? Do you, you get what I'm saying, Brian? Oh, absolutely, like yeah. Mm-hmm. 21st century looking back on Isaiah's prophecy oh my goodness, we have so much more information than he had at the time, right? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> so, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway. No, that's great. We're actually going to hit that next time on application. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thanks for joining yeah. the Brian Sam's podcast, Carrie. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. All of you that are listening, you can find the show notes at briansams.com. I'm going to also leave Carrie's in the gospel website as well as ways you can connect with him on social media. Until next time, this is Brian Sams, and thank you for joining the Brian Sams podcast. 